All right, Tuesday timelines, circuits are on. We are back this time. The DeLorean has taken us to Monday, August 29th, 1988. That local time is 4 p.m. and we are in Madison Square Garden in New York City. I'm Elio, he's Ben. Ben, what's going on? You're two months old, welcome. Yes, I'm finally alive. It took me eight episodes, but I am here, God damn it. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> um, so no, but but it's funny because with that fact in mind, um, you know, I actually had more fun watching this pay per view because I knew, you know, that I, that you know this was within my lifetime. So it was it was cool to kind of view it from that perspective, but also realize that it was still like way back in the day. Mm-hmm. wrestling wise yep. so in a way it kind of made me feel old now last last week i didn't get to go to the movies because we had an announcement courtesy of president jack tunney regarding the the championship tournament that took place at wrestlemania 4. yes so i went to the movies this week uh, uh we have a double feature because the first one i went to see was a movie called biloxi blues oh very cool. All right, and uh, I have it right here. So let me pull the video up. Very good. Oh. What the heck? Cool. Boy, it's happening. This is happening. Then we got this hot in Brooklyn. It was like Africa hot. Tarzan couldn't take this kind of hot. You answer when your name is called. The answer to that question is home. Do I make myself clear, Jerome? Oh, yes. Oh, what? Oh, nothing. You having trouble understanding me, Jerome? Oh, no. I mean, no hope, Sergeant. It's just plain hope. You're embarrassing me in front of the lizards and the buzzards. What would you do if the Japanese army was behind you? Surrender and get some sleep. Okay, honey. Matthew Broderick. Yeah, he. I'm. I'm looking up the uh, the plot right now, and in the midst of that, I'm. Um, I'm seeing the uh, movie poster, and um, God damn, he looks young. Jesus. <laughs> this was uh, two years after um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Now, Ben, have you ever seen that one? Of course, I have. Thank, thank you, because uh, no, and I asked that because. Anytime I I I mention Ferris Bueller's Day Off, people are like, "We've never seen that." What? Well, not, not because, uh, well, ladies, okay. Let let me 
just receive that piece of information because one, that's weird that people have never seen that movie. And yeah, we talk about horror movies a lot, and Elio likes to share the shit out of me. <laughs> and, and I'm I'm not particularly a horror movie person. I there there are certain franchises which I've come to like or respect because of their longevity and and their cultural impact and what such. But when it comes to, you know, comedy movies and or action movies or documentaries or things of that nature, I'm I'm pretty up to date and, and films have always been one of my one of my major hobbies. Uh and so to to those who have not seen Ferris uh, Bueller's Day Off in, in in my generation and the one before me, um, what the fuck are you doing, um, with your life? And yes, I am trying to curse less, but that one was uh, purposeful because if you haven't seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, number one, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. You should be watching that movie. And two, just again, what have you been doing with your life? I I, I struggle to understand. And that, there, there, there's certain classics in American cinema that if you haven't seen them, it's like the and then it's not this extreme, but I'm almost getting to the point of like getting angry with people when they haven't seen certain things because. <laughs> Um, you know, it's like it's like Elio tell it's like Elio if he were to tell me that he hasn't seen The Godfather. I haven't seen The Godfather. No, I'm joking. I've seen Netflix seen Godfather. Look what they did something that's good, my little boy. Exactly. Thank you, Marlon Brando, (laughs) motherfuckers. Um. You know, you, it, you, you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding and ask me to commit murder. <laughs> you know what? And that that is <laughs> that, that exchange is such a classic to me because of what of what happens uh, later in the movie when he when uh, he he goes to collect the favor. Yep. Um, and it's just such a um, it's just such a classic. Um, oh. but so, yeah. so le- the lesson to be learned here is refine your classic movie knowledge. God damn it! You know the fact if you're a millennial or you know of of El- or of Elio's generation, you have no excuse not to have seen that movie. Yeah, I'll the tell hell? you. I'll tell you. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, motherfuckers! Come on. And I'll tell you a story off here of why I I couldn't watch that movie for a long time. What, Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Yeah, I'll tell you that off here in the story. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so that was Biloxi Blues. Now, now, men, what do you say we get into WWF SummerSlam 1988? Yes, sir. Wait, let me try that again after okay. I need to I need like at least five seconds. 
All right, Ben, so what do you say we get into WF SummerSlam 88? All right, so before we do that, I went to see my second movie this week. Oh. And, and <laughs> on August 29, 1988, I went earlier today, actually, this afternoon, special matinee screening of A Nightmare on Elm Street, Four, the Dream Master. Very good. Do you know what terror is? Hello. Do you live here? Nobody lives here. watching that movie earlier today I need a distraction so this paper you should do that just that uh so judging from your reaction I'm I'm guessing that's not a good movie it wasn't it wasn't that great now I'll tell you what my favorite in the franchise is number three dream warriors cool that is the the absolute best one in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Yes, and and Freddy Krueger is such a classic. I re- I remember uh, one Halloween when I uh, when I was like ten, I had a I had a um, Freddy Krueger mask, and I and you know so I'm in my walker, this short little kid, you know and. And I scared the absolute bejesus out of out of, out of a kid at a house that I'm going to be treating at, because I'm like I go, <laughs> you know, like in the mask. I I you know I I. <laughs> oh, a little ten year old Ben. And, and, uh, <laughs> Yes, instead of getting mad at me, the uh, the mother started laughing and gave me like all the candy I wanted. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably my all-time favorite Halloween memory. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, so Ben, on to Madison Square Garden for SummerSlam '88. All right, so. The commentary team for tonight's pay-per-view, Gorilla Monsoon and Superstar Billy Graham, quite the odd pair. Oh my god. And you know what, I, I didn't realize until I was watching this today, 
How much Billy Penn was getting on my nerves? <laughs> and and Elio, I uh, I you know me. I don't lie to you ever, mm-hmm. right? I almost turned the pay per view off, and 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 I was gonna text you like I can't do this. We got you know we have to pick another one and, and move forward in the uh, anthology, so to speak, because between now I love Gorilla Monsoon. I have no problem with him. He's an absolute icon, but. B- Superstar Billy Graham on commentary was agonizing. Seriously. Just absolutely. You know, he said brother more times than Hulk Hogan in the 90s. I mean, Jesus Christ. He was annoying. Now. Extremely so. Now, Ben was two months old when this pay-per-view took place. You were probably asleep at 8 p.m. that night. Yes. I was I, I was in my room. I, I knew SummerSlam was going on. I'm like, and I was like kicking my thumb like, I wish I could watch this. I wish I could watch this. But like, uh, it's too late to go to my neighbor's house across the streets, right? And the previews already started. And so I'm like, one pacing back and forth in my room. Like, and I'm like, look at the magazine. And I had. Actually, uh, the following month, September, I because I couldn't get the result. I didn't get the results until the mo- a month later. Like the early part, the early, uh, the early part of September, the, towards the beginning. I forget. I think I I forget what happened, but I had to go to the hospital, so I'd stay in for for a while. Now. Yeah. And every time my parents would come to visit, they would always bring me either a Mad Magazine or a Crack Magazine if they couldn't find a WWF magazine. However, this time they did, and they brought me the September issue with Bruce Beefcake on the cover, and inside were all the result were there was a SummerSlam preview. So I was thinking, okay, I'm going to get to see the results, and instead it was just a preview. So I had to wait till November to get the results in the November issue. Uh, before the days of the internet, poor Elio. Right. And I, no, but, but I don't, I don't blame you in the least, my friend, because, um, you know, I was a late bloomer when it came to, um, getting yeah. pay, pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. Believe, believe it or not, I was 21 when I got my first wrestling pay-per-view and, um, oh, I was 18 <laughs> and, um, you know, so I, I couldn't tell you why because I was always so invested in in the storylines as a kid. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. And then I was actually um, the the very first uh, wrestling show I ever went to wasn't until I was like twenty. I want to say twenty two, mm-hmm. and that was the uh, that was the first time I ever. Um, went to an elite show for the company that I'm now associated with. Right. So, um, I'm like in my room, and I know what summer is going on. I know it's like this big deal, but 
in the weeks leading up to this, I was they kept saying SummerSlam. I'm like, well, SummerSlam, this must be like a big deal. Like, I can't wait to watch this. So I love how I, I always used to, we had a video store just like 10 minutes from my house. I would always go up, rent the video, bring it back. So I remember the first time I watched this. And uh, this was a fun pay-per-view. And of course, I remember the first match on the card. The Fabulous Three Show Brothers and the British Bulldogs. And to me, um, that was one of the one of the better matches on the card. Um, in terms in terms of an actual match, because the majority of this show, I think, was built on moments, which we'll get into um a little bit uh, later on in the in the review. Um, there, there were a lot of happenings. Yes, it, it, it was. It's a happening. It was, it was a happening quite a bit. You know, if I if I That's were right. to play a drinking game, uh, every time Grilla Monsoon said it's a happening, or um, say, say, or, or or um, or when superstar Billy Graham said Grilla Monsoon, brother. Um, you know, at one point he said, brother gorilla. I was like, what? <laughs> Help me. Oh my goodness. Um, go no, ahead. Say, say it's happening one more time. I dare you, gorilla on soon. Go ahead. Say it. <laughs> like, seriously, if I was here one more time, I mean. Well, I, and I'm, I'm making the pretty safe assumption that we're going to hear it plenty more times. Oh, boy. All right, so the first match, British Bulldogs, Rujo Brothers, Ben. Do you know the story here? No, I don't. Well, of course, the Rujo Brothers, you noticed uh, they, were, they weren't exactly, uh, they weren't exactly following the rules in this match. No, they weren't. So this is the start of their heel turn. If you notice the introduction, residing in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, soon to be residing in the USA. In the yes, United I, States. Did, I did. So that is the, this is the beginning of their heel turn, where after this match, or shortly thereafter, they would take on Jimmy Hart as their manager, and they would, uh, they would, uh, they would, uh, they would uh, claim that they hail from Memphis, Tennessee, and they would walk, come out to the ring carrying little American flags and waving little American flags. Oh, that's hilarious. But that was part of their whole heel gimmick. Now, the one, and of course, they finally had music as well at this time. Yeah, and actually, I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, wasn't uh, Michael P.S. Hayes the first um, the first superstar to use entrance music? I'm pretty sure he was. You mean ever? Yeah. No, that was Gorgeous George in the 50s. Oh, well, I was way off. I wonder where I heard that then. Because it was it, it was a Freebird special. And they were making a big deal about how the Freebirds were the ones to bring, you know, music into wrestling. So that's very weird. Yeah, but Ben, we know how WWE likes to make stuff up. 
Well, yes, <laughs> so, yeah, as such as their um, such as their pay per view attendance numbers. So the Rougeau brothers uh, would soon be coming out to this music. Chichi McGuire, they wrote this theme, they wrote Shawn Michaels' theme. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so he contributed a lot of the themes that you hear on uh, TV today. Cool. Alright, so what else do you have for this match? I... So, so, yes, as a match, I have to tell you that this was um, one, of the, one of the better ones. Um... I would easily give this a a three star match at least. Okay. Um, and the the only thing that um took it down a notch for me was the fact that the the announcers nor the ring announcer Howard Finkel made any mention of a time limit. Um, so that when when they hit the twenty minute mark, and um, Joey Morello, you know, stopped counting and and you know made this whole show of you know how referees do of going over to Howard Finkel to make the official ruling. Yeah, they they, um, they, they didn't say anything about a time limit. So yeah, I found that really odd that the bell just rang after twenty minutes. Yeah, so it just kind of. Um, it it really just kind of threw me off mm-hmm. um, because I th- I felt like they were having a really good match and um I and and it it made it it made the ending disappointing and and that's a that's a running theme that I'm starting to notice uh, since we're doing these uh, timeline Tuesday episodes is. The ending of these matches are either very abrupt or very, um, or just very random, and it, it doesn't really play into a story the, the majority of the time. However, in in the um on the positive side of um of the conversation, um, I really enjoyed the um the pacing of the match because it started out slow and I'm like oh god here we go and then and then it really picked up and um you know I whenever I see you know either the British Bulldog or um or um Dynamite Kid you know that is that's a huge um, that's a huge thing for for me, cause, or a huge treat, I should say, because 
as popular as they were, historically, I I would still make the argument that they're underrated, especially Dynamite Kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know because I think things got overshadowed with some of the issues that he started having after his back injury. Yeah. Um, this was actually his last SummerSlam before the back injury. I know this was the first one, but I did um, I did find that out while I was doing research. Um, and so, like I said, I I really wasn't a fan of the time limit draw because I thought it took away from from the work that both guys had had done. It it was um it was a very early example of the classic tag team formula, but it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, I think for the British Bulldogs, they they could wrestle broomsticks, and I'd be entertained. Yeah. Um. So, I really don't have any uh, complaints about this, and then of course. We know all about the history with Davey Boy Smith and um, SummerSlam from 1992. So this was like a, a very nice uh, precursor for that. And, and also the other the other thing was I love Matilda. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I've I've always been a I I have always been a dog person, um, you know, much more than a people person. And that's saying something because I am a people person, you know, I have, you know, two podcasts that, you know, I have, I have that personality where I like to connect with people, but, but dogs have always been, you know, the, the first, uh, key to unlock me, so to speak. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I always tease my friends that, you know, if you see me around my dogs, you probably wouldn't recognize me. Uh, even if you've known me for a long time, like, who the hell is this kid? They just bring out a softer side of me. So, so whenever, whenever they would uh, show Matilda on, on the, um, on the platform that they had for her, um, I just got the biggest kick out of that, and yeah. I would I, I would notice the attendant. I would assume it was the uh, the ring person uh, or the bell person who was uh, supervising her. Yeah. But like every time that they would go and pet her, I would notice that and get distracted from the match. So <laughs> I, I I I love Matilda, and it just. The whole the whole storyline with her kidnapping, oh, I was so pissed off. Oh yeah, we if you only seen that from the beginning when it first happened, uh, I I I told you this story on uh, one yes. of the yeah when the elders just like walked down to the ring and they slowly took me to the back to the back with them. They kidnapped <laughs> like oh no and. And this is how, like, how that was how much uh, they ran with the story. They actually created an address where you could send letters. That was so. Oh, cool. That so was like awesome. one of the more popular stories angles at the time. Well, and for good reason, because if you don't like dogs, I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> you know. 
I, uh, so, yeah. And I, I think we get the next one in and before we have to go into commercial, but the second match is Bad News Brown versus Ken Patera. They always put random people in with Bad News Brown because this guy doesn't like anyone. Well, from, and from what I was reading, apparently he was in the middle of a push here, but it's funny because I don't, I don't recognize him from from any anything significant. Does that make sense? Like, like I don't, I don't think he ever had a major feud or, you know, no, uh, he, well, no, no, because uh, he only showed up uh, prior to uh, WrestleMania four. He only uh, debuted in eighty eight. Yeah, so how, he, do you they, know how long he was there? Uh, you know what? I'm, I can look that up right now, but um, the, I believe his first major feud was with Jake Snake Roberts, I want to say. Um, but but in, in the interest of time, really, uh, you know, Ken, Ken Patera did not have a good showing here. And you know what? Um, but... Go on, but I'm gonna say that we're gonna. I'll give you a little story on bad news uh, when we get back, though. But go on, finish what you're saying. You know, he did not have a good showing here. Um, they, I, I thought they um, messed up on several different, um, several different spots, especially the clothesline. Mm-hmm. Um, after the Irish whip into the corner, they had to redo that. Um, and overall, it was just a very slow, very boring match. And the only thing, the only thing interesting is, is how big of a deal they make out of the ghetto blaster. Yeah. Well, we heard um, that was, a, was basically an insecurity to the back of the head. Exactly. Because uh, uh, no, no one had ever seen that before bad news. So I, I thought, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So um, b- before we get into anything else, I think we'll go uh, into commercial and um, stay right there. All right, we are back, Ben. Welcome back, you spineless cockroach. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I love what, I love what Ben used to, used to call his opponents that. <laughs> Yeah, it was really funny. So I told you, I was going to tell you a story about Bandage Brown. So a lot I didn't know, so I was just looking it up. Um, He was in the WWF for one year, 1978-79. And after failing to uh, capture the NWA Tag Team Championships, he left shortly thereafter and he found a home in Calgary Stampede in 82. And then, uh, and then he returned to WBF in 88, around uh, this time. And he was he went undefeated for a long time until March 11th of 88 on Saturday Night's main event. Do you, know, do you know who the one person to defeat him was? No. It was Hulk Hogan on Saturday Night's main event. Uh, bad News went for an insecurity. Hogan ducked and he missed. And Hogan uh, pinned him and defeated Bad News Brown. Oh, okay. well, aren't you just an encyclopedia? I didn't, know, well, I didn't even know that because, you know what? I wonder if 
No, that couldn't have been the main event that I'm thinking of. Because there were two. So March 11th, 88, uh, he lost to Hogan. Um, so now you were asking me about the first uh, feud that he was in, right? Yeah. So the first real major feud would have been in 1990 with Roddy Piper. However, and that was supposed to continue, but uh, neither one wanted to lose to the other, so they scrapped that and uh, put him with Jake to Snake Roberts. Oh, okay. So they never finished the Roddy Piper story because uh, Piper and Bad News didn't want to lose to each other. Oh, jeez. Now, here's the story, and uh, we told the story on an episode of Wrestling POV Quarantine. Um, Banyus Brown had an altercation with Andre the Giant on a tour bus. I bet that didn't end well. See, the, the, the story is, they were in New Japan, they were on a tour bus, and apparently Andre made a racist remark, so Banyus heard that, told the driver to stop the bus and challenged Andre to fight him outside. But Andre never got up and then never got up from his seat and he just apologized to bad news afterwards. Well, we see apologize. Yeah, so the only time that Andre backed down from someone when bad news got in his face about that. Well... But that, I mean, that's good reason to back down from somebody. <laughs> but I, I love the Bad News Brown character. And he left, he left WBF after uh, SummerSlam 90 because, and he, the reason he said it was because Vince McMahon failed to live up to his promise to make him a company, uh, like a champion. He, he should have, he, Vince told him he was going to make him like a champion in the face of the company. And he never did that. So the way Benny was thought, Vince failed on that promise. So he left. Well, number one, I have difficulty believing Bad News Brown was going to be a champion. And two, you know, I mean... I couldn't have seen him as a as a as a champion. You could or you couldn't. I could. I see him as champion. He's uh, like uh, his character. We've never seen a character like his in WF before. Like uh, like a like a main card champion. I see. Uh, well. I wouldn't, I don't know if he'd be a WF champion, even though he did challenge Randy Savage for the WF title. But um, I was actually during the commercial, I was watching a YouTube video where he was uh, talking about um, one time uh, how Savage was protective of Elizabeth and he was walking by the dressing room one at a show in Indianapolis. And Elizabeth um, waved him, told him to go in and like sit down and talk with her, right? But he was yeah. afraid. He was afraid uh, because he was supposed to face Savage that night, and he knew how overprotective of her she was. So he just stood in the doorway and spoke to her from there. Well, that was um, that was probably good, um, you know, just not to provoke Randy. Yeah. Apparently, apparently he. He comes. He comes off as very. Uh, uh, 
and this is not to speak ill of him, but like to to me, when people do that in general, mm-hmm. like really overprotective, it's like insecurity. And I like, know it's not the case when when it's someone's kid, but like when it's someone's significant other, mm-hmm. that uh, that comes across to me as like insecurity. And this is good because um, remember when I told you about the main event. So, on to the next match. Again, another random match. I I don't remember uh, there even being a storyline or a feud between these two. Rick Rude versus the Chunkyard Dog. Well, um, to your point, I don't don't think there was a thing between them. Um, but this this match was all to further the angle between Rick Rude and Jake Roberts because yeah. yep. um, it, it was six minutes and 18 seconds, but it only became important to win. And this is going to sound weird, but um, hang with me here, folks. It only got important when Rick Rude pulled down his, his tights to reveal another pair of tights, um, which had, um, which Cheryl, had Cheryl, Roberts. Cheryl Roberts on the back of them. And uh, at that point, um, Jake Roberts very quickly came out and and attacked him to, to cause the DQ. Yep. And um, then, of course, after the match, he apologized to Junkyard Dog for costing him the match because Rick Rick Rude was the one who benefited from that disqualification. Yeah. Uh in terms of getting the victory. Um so this the match itself was pretty much non-existent. Um and uh it, like I said it was just for the angle. Um but give but given that if you look at it from that perspective, it's it's a it's it's good in terms of angle advancement, and and again, I didn't want to. I didn't really want to see Jake Roberts stripping Rick Rude of his uh, tights. We don't need to see Rick Rude. Uh, well, no, <laughs> we as, don't need to see as, Rick Rude. No, not at all. <laughs> and um, his his dancing was a little bit disturbing to me. I'm just gonna. <laughs> Oh, with, yeah. the, with the with the with the with the dance he always does when he yes. gets into the yeah. Um, so that was a little bit disturbing. Now, next up, we have, um, we have the Powers of Pain versus the Bolsheviks. I was a fan Um, of this team at the time, the Powers of Pain. I, I, because I remember I had, um, WF Magazine from December with the Powers of Pain on the cover. I, I, I really like these guys. Yeah, and I yeah, I can tell you, and I can tell you um, from personal experience, uh, the barbarian is like the nicest guy. And um, he he, he, I, he was also in a body slam with Roddy Piper. Oh, was he? I didn't realize that. Yeah, it was him, and uh, he was. Um, I forget. I want to say the team, the tag team's name were the Cannibals. So he was like one of the guys that wanted to go after Roddy Piper and Tony Kid. Well, yeah. um, I don't think that would have ended, <laughs> especially with Roddy Piper. 
Um, but yeah, I actually, um, I did an angle with, uh, with Barbarian for one of the shows that he was on. Cool. So, uh, yeah. Now, did you notice the manager? Uh, yes. The, the Baron. Baron, Baron Von Rasky. Yeah, Baron Von Rasky. He looks slightly uh, smaller though there than as opposed to I guess it was uh, wearing the robe with the hood that made him look like smaller because this guy was like tall was a tall guy immediately. Yeah, like, well, I, I think it was just the voluminous nature of the robe. And of course, uh, he had the claw. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, you know, this was the second of I believe four tag team matches on okay. the card right. um which you know just in general i think this card had too many tag matches <laughs> i i mean look i i enjoy tag team wrestling yes but not multiple uh, matches on the card yep um and you'll see that when we return to our regular show and talk about last night's Monday Night Raw. Um, but yeah, it's, um, this was another five minute, 30 second match. Mm-hmm. Folks, this was, this was very 80s. And I don't mean to be disrespectful when I say that, but certain, certain matches from this time frame based on the uh, pay-per-views that I've watched as part of this uh, new show that we've established, um, they follow a pattern where it's like they have one or two big matches and the rest of them in between just feel like filler. Yep. Um, and and this one definitely uh, fall into that category. And again, another um, another match that there was really no feud here with the Bolsheviks. No, because I, I was I was I was trying to look up the Bolsheviks in terms of some of the feuds that they had, and I did not see uh, the powers of pain. So I think that this was maybe this was this was designed to um, get the power of pain over because I don't know if they were new or not. Uh, um, yeah, they 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 debuted in '88. In this year, they debuted in WBF. Okay, so yeah, those are pretty much used as a as a vehicle to get them introduced to the audience. Yeah, because they so, made yeah. they they made their debut on a dark match, and TV taping on June eighteenth of '88. Okay, cool. So, just eleven days after my birth. Yes. <laughs> So, um, now prior, I believe it was after the bad news match or yeah, I want to say it's after the bad news brand match, but they showed footage of why Brutus Beefcake will not be able to challenge for the Intercontinental Championship on this card. Right. Because, um, because... He was attacked and by, uh, by Outlaw Ron Bass, who used his spurs on him. To, and, and now, did they uh, put a red X over your, over your screen? Yes. Yeah, yes. that they did that on the original broadcast as well. And okay, I can tell you a story here. Okay. 
This happened on Saturday's main event. And I know this because the day before, it was Friday uh, around lunchtime, I was making myself a sandwich and I accidentally cut myself. So I cut my thumb and it started bleeding all over. And so I'm like, and that's uh, that's the reason why I remember that Saturday's main event took place the day after. <laughs> Oh, uh, <laughs> because I, I, I watched this at night, the day after I cut my thumb. Yeah, uh, when they do the really gratuitous cutting, like they do this with John Moxley and all that, like that's it's just not my cup of tea. Yeah, so Bruce Beefcake will not be able to challenge, so there will be a new challenger for the Honky Tonk Man. And Ben, that yeah. match was up next following the Power Spain. And um, he has suffice to say, Honky Top Man uh, regretted his bravado on the microphone. Right? He was saying, saying, I don't care who it is. Yes, and it turns out it was um, it was the Ultimate Warrior. And literally four moves and 31 seconds later, I believe it was, um, I believe it was a shoulder block, a, uh, a clothesline. And then um, the, the gorilla press and then the splash. Yes. Yep. And 31 seconds later, you had a new uh, intercontinental champion. Yes. Now, now, in terms of a moment, that's huge because that's one of those where everybody remembers that moment, for, you know, in terms of being what what brought uh warriors to the next level even though i've never seen this pay-per-view i've seen the moment where he you know they show in front of you know and then lifting the title up yep um so this ended a honky tonk man uh status as the longest reigning intercontinental champion yes and it, it was um <laughs> Uh, yes, it was um, 31 seconds long. Yeah. And uh, talking about the match, and I believe um, Honky held it, I believe, for, and I'm not looking at anything. I Correct me if I'm wrong, Elio, but was it 534 days? I, I suck with numbers, bud. <laughs> Um, it was from June second of nineteen eighty seven to uh, August twenty nine. So, let me let me do some quick on the fly research. All right, so Honky Tonk Man held the championship from June first, nineteen eighty seven, to August twenty ninth, nineteen eighty eight. That's a total of four hundred and fifty four days. Yeah, and you know what. Up until Gunther, uh, his name is Walter, goddammit. Um, but up until uh, Walter's run, I don't think that they've ever had as dominant a run as this. And no, please don't come at me and say Roman Reigns was better. Please don't do <laughs> that. Just stop. <laughs> okay. So is that all we have for this bench? Yeah. All right, on to the next one. This was this was a rematch from WrestleMania Four: Dino Bravo versus Don Morocco. Um, 
and they were still talking. I couldn't believe it. They were still talking about whether or not um, Gino broke the the world's bench press record. Are you, like like eight months if later, I, if I if I'd have been WWE, I would have I would have tried to bury that as 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 soon as possible. And I, I don't I don't mean bury in the same sense of of like bury a talent or I mean like bury that piece of footage, burn it, never show it again. Because yeah. that's how bad that whole entire segment was. Mm-hmm. And you know, and um, at an earlier show, um, Jesse the Body Ventura said that he put um, his two pinkies on the bar. <laughs> I remember. You know, and meanwhile, if you, you know, this is why this is why I say WWE sometimes treats their fans like idiots. But if you go back and watch the clip. He put his whole hand on the bar and literally lifted it up. He'll probably tell you, well, I didn't want it to fall on him, on his chest and hurt and injure him. Well, no (laughs) shit. But at at that same point, you know, if he can't lift it, he can't lift it. I know, right? But just say, you know, Jesse always, Jesse continually making excuses. Well, well, and I don't really blame him for that because, quite frankly, I think the, I think the the whole segment, yeah, was kind of ruined by that. Yeah. Now, gr- granted, I don't, I don't actually think he was lifting that much weight, mm-hmm. um, you know, because they were probably using foam to some degree. I, I'm not saying they didn't have real weights on the bar, but they probably had foam for some of it. Um, because, because when you're trying to do that, like on the, on the air and it, it, it doesn't work and you're saying he's trying to break a record, it makes the company look bad. And this is, and, and that's what happened here with Dino Bravo. Now, in terms of the match itself, um, if we were doing the traditional, uh, high points, low points, this this would be a low point as as well, folks. Yeah. And I'll, I'll I'll tell you why. Because, um, f- first first of all, um, Mor- Morocco, um, I don't know if he was past his prime here or what, but I didn't think he was he was very impressive. Um, and it it looked like they messed up a couple spots. Um, and the the moves were so basic, like a um an atomic drop, Irish whip into the buckle, Russian leg sweep, back body drop. Um, you know. Okay, Ben. Yeah. So yeah, this was a towards the end of his run because Morocco had his last match in the WF against Barry Horowitz on the tour of Italy in October of eighty eight and was then fired. 
Yeah, so this was the, okay, so literally this was two months before the end. Okay. Yep. Um, because then he went to Stampede Wrestling and he competed in other various promotions between 89, 88, and 95. Okay. Well, and, and to be honest with you, there was nothing about this match that was interesting because guess what M- move finished it off? A roll-up. No. Sidewalk slam. I'm oh. sorry. That's well, not... That, 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 that was uh, the Big Boss Man, the Big Boss Man's finisher. No, no, no. The Big Boss Man's slam was not a sidewalk slam. No. No, he used that move, though. Well, yes, but not... But that wasn't his finisher. Wait, man. What was his finisher? I I, 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 I always remember him using that. His, his finisher was similar to, like, Abyss's finisher. Like the Black Hole Slam. Oh, okay. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe it's uh, the announcers that I kept messing it up because they kept calling it the Boss Man Slam. No, that... And no. saying that was his finisher. So I don't know what they were talking no, about. No, because... because boss man was on this card and it, it was different okay oh that's right i see it further down in the card two matches later All so right. um no and, and so i'm what i'm gonna do and i'm gonna give me a second but i'm actually gonna look at a boss man slam. I don't know if you guys can hear me or whatever, but I'm gonna look at one and see if it's what I what I'm thinking. Hold on. Okay. Okay. Well, I just looked it up and um to verify because big boss man slam was the traditional. Uh, or or no, I'm sorry. What what finished this match with Morocco and Bravo was a traditional sidewalk slam by Morocco, and what what Big Boss Man slam was it was it was more similar to like a Yurinagi, um, or something like that. Okay, okay. but uh, okay, but so I guess you can see why uh. Where I where I would think that was uh, the finisher. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So it, but, these announcers, uh, when they when they call matches, sometimes and well, they make they try to make it seem bigger than it is. Yeah. And like I I understand that, but like do that for like main event matches, not necessarily. Yeah. You know this match. Yep. All right, on to the next match. What do we have? Demolition versus the Hard Foundation for the WF Tag Team Championships. In the corner of Demolition, we have Mr. Fuji and Jimmy Hart. Which was confusing to me because which one was their manager? Here we go. Now, Mr. Fuji was their manager. Jimmy Hart was only there because... The Hart Foundation turned on Jimmy Hart, and they became baby faces. So he he was again he was on the team of any he was on any in the corner of any team that opposed the Hart Foundation. In this case, it's demolition, so he was in demolition's corner. 
Oh, okay. That makes sense. But, you know, the commentators didn't say anything about that. It was, you know, yeah, very, very confusing. Well, there there um, you go. I, I made it I, I said it and I made it clearer than they yeah. probably would have. Yes, because, you know, Gorilla Monsoon was a fantastic commentator. Billy Graham, Billy Graham you know, was killing me. It, it was it was very very annoying and distracting, yeah. but um this was um this was also what I would have classified as a high point of the the night because I really I really enjoyed um I really enjoyed the work mm -hmm. um I I will I will say. Um, it's not the best heart foundation match I've seen, um, but for the, for the time and for the for the rest of the matches on this card, particularly, this was toward the top of the heap. Um, and uh, then we get the um, aforementioned Big Boss Man match with versus. Coco Beware. And is it just me, folks? Or is Slick managing Big Boss Man like the weirdest thing? Yeah, I, I, two completely uh, different characters. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I found that very odd. Because Slick and Big Boss Man don't seem to mix very well. <laughs> just just my own well, thought well, wait, does the do they does he go together with the Bolsheviks though well no he doesn't it's like a, a, a the doctor of style I guess I don't know well you know this was not in style trust me yeah um but uh, you know it was um it was really not much more I can say about this match. No. Uh, um, it was just one of those that was there. Uh -huh. Um, you know, and I I don't mean to be dismissive of anything or what have you, but I'm just I'm just being honest with you. There was nothing impressive right. about this. Um, you know, it could have it could have accomplished the same thing, but been a lot shorter. Um. And then next up, we had another extremely boring match. Um, Random match. Uh, with, again, these two, no, no feud. I know. And I, I, think, I think it was more about putting over the feud with Rude in this, because that's, that's what the commentators were focusing on. Like, and, and see, I get that, but like Hercules has nothing to do with the feud, so I I know, I know. It, right. it's it's so random. Yeah, and, and I'm and I'm, you know for the for those of you that say you know well you're going through these awfully quick. Sometimes the matches just are what they are. There's no you know great they, analysis that can be had. You can't really say much for some matches on the card. Now, now, as for the main event, the uh, Mega Powers versus the Mega Bucks. Yeah, I I can say a lot about that, and I think we have enough time, uh, to do this before we. Yep, we um, got we got eight minutes. Get kicked off. So yes, we can use eight minutes to 
discuss uh, the mega powers versus the mega bucks. Now, um, they spent a lot of time, you know, building up to this before the bell rang. Okay, there were there was video packages throughout the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, there were you know interview segments. Um, they they did like a huge drawn out entrance for both Hogan and Savage, of course, along with the lovely Elizabeth, who um, who would play a massive role in the outcome of this match. Um, one of the things that I that I noticed about this in particular, folks, is um, Jesse. Uh, Jesse made a huge deal about getting all the managers out of the ring to start the match. Mm-hmm. But yet, yet after that, it was pure pandemonium with the managers because you had, um, you know, you had the managers for both sides um, involved and it, 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 everything turned into a shit show. Like, this guy should be looking out for you know, for Savage and Hogan because, you know, DiBiase and Andre um, have their manager backing them up, causing mischief. But then, but then like, oh, what what is Elizabeth supposed to do against, uh, against all these guys? And, you know, you know, the ref doesn't have to worry about her, but they have to worry about... Um, the, the manager for the mega bucks yeah um, i which i which i found weird so but i think i think the reason why they were downplaying elizabeth and this was well done by the commentary team was because she really did play a massive role in the end of the match mm-hmm. um, but before we get to, before we get to um to the end of the match because I don't, I don't, I, I really don't want to um, skate over this match because it was, it was so huge in terms of, in terms of both the mega powers and what would eventually be the downfall of the mega powers in terms of jealousy surrounding uh, Miss Elizabeth. Um, the big thing was after the match, um, which was one by uh, Savage and Hogan because Elizabeth got up on the apron and distracted everybody by taking her skirt off. Um, <laughs> which, in all fairness, that would distract anybody because... Um, I was distracted. Because, you know, Elizabeth, all due respect, she was one of the, one of the most beautiful women... That, that I've ever seen. She should, she should. She should automatically be inducted into Team Yummy. Exactly. Well, out of respect, I'm not going to do that to, to the dead. Right. Um, but you. But she was very classy and very yeah. elegant and very beautiful. So yeah. it was. You know, all due respect to her, and you know, I don't think it was fair the way that she came. She came to an end, but um, yeah, I I just I didn't like her WCW right at all. Uh, no, not not one little bit. Um, at least in my opinion, I mean, the quality of her WWE run or WWF run versus W or WCW is night and day. 
Mm-hmm. Um, now, one of the things that Elio asked me to keep an eye on uh, at the end of the match was how um, was how Savage was looking at um, was looking at Elizabeth. Keep doing this right up to Rumble eighty nine. Keep doing that. Yeah, and um, you know, because because Savage is up in the corner celebrating, and and so Elizabeth and Hogan are behind him, and they're hugging and and all this, and you know, Hogan's got her lifted up, and then and then he Savage slowly turns around and sees what they're doing, and he he's got this look on his face like. What the bloody hell are you guys doing? You know, and then so Elizabeth goes to hug him, and as she's doing that, um, you know, Savage has got his arms out, like, what the hell, bro? But but night, but neither Elizabeth or Hogan notice that he's pissed off. So as um. As they continue to celebrate, he seemingly gets less pissed off because he goes back to posing with um, w- with Hogan. And what I found very interesting is the the commentators made no mention of the look on um, on Savage's face, which I would have thought would have been a huge focus point um, based on how they do things now. You know, because they always have the camera on the facial expressions and what, and what such. Right. Um, but um, you know, if you guys go back and watch this as a result of this um, review, do make sure you pay um, specific attention to Savage because the look that he gives Hogan uh, really does foreshadow the end for the um, for the um, Mega Powers. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which in the '80s, I mean, the mega powers were, were huge, um, and um, and so uh, we'll wrap up for now because we're about to get kicked out by our virtual producers. But we'll be right back to wrap up the review of SummerSlam '88. See you right there. All right, Ben, that's it uh, for SummerSlam 88. Uh, it's 10.33 p.m. We're going to jump into the DeLorean and head over to October 16th of 88 for the King of the Ring from Providence, Rhode Island. Very good. Now, of course, I had to stop and uh, check the movie listings for this date. Of course he did. And what do I have on this date? We have the accused. On April 18th, 1987, Sarah Tobias stopped for a drink at a bar called The Mill. I'm a prosecutor, and I have to make a rape case. I was here, but uh, I didn't see what happened. 
Did you have anything to drink before you went to the mill? I don't know. I mean, I always have fallen down drunk or anything. No, she's fighting a system. Are you getting sad with me? Where the guilty are protected. Her girlfriend didn't see anything. The bartender didn't see anything. I don't have a case. The pain is forgotten. When I heard somebody screaming, it was me. The crime is negotiable. So make a deal when you put them away. Uh, assault, coercion, reckless endangerment. You ain't gonna defend me because I'm some low-class bimbo, right? I didn't say that. You haven't got more important things to do than go to trial with a sure loser? Why'd you let him out on bail? Put more to me like she was begging for him. seen this movie no but i'm reading the um i'm reading the synopsis and um oh boy I, uh, <laughs> no i'm i'm surprised because it is it is such it is it is subject matter of such a brutal nature yeah uh, i'm like holy frick wow anyway that was the number one movie on october 1688 but here we go. We are live from the Providence Civic Center in Providence, Rhode Island for King of the Ring 1988. Cool. All right, Ben. So we're going to play that game where I'm going to tell you the tournament matches. You're going to tell me who you thought won. Very good. Opening round matches. Ken Patera versus Nikolai Volkov. Nikolai Volkov. Uh, Ken Patera won. Oh, okay. Then we have Brutus Beefcake versus Ted DiBiase. Uh, Ted DiBiase. Yes. Then we have The Barbarian versus Ron Bass. The Barbarian. Actually, it was Ron Bass. What? Yeah. Huh? Random. Now, now, I'll, this is a, a little odd because I'm looking at the little side notes and it says Ted DiBiase paid Ron Bass off to fake an injury. So I guess that's, Ron Bass was paid off to take DiBiase's place. That's hilarious. Or some, I, I, that's confusing. I don't know. Okay. Uh, Dangerous Danny Davis versus Sean. Oh no! Wait, wait, wait! Now I'm confused because Dangerous Danny Davis versus Sean Michaels. Sean Michaels. Sean Michaels won, but this is this is weird because Danny Davis has no business in the King of the Ring because it doesn't even have him. Okay, sure. <laughs> I okay. Bad News Brown versus Hercules. Um. There was a buy in that match because it was a double count out. Okay. 
Throw a nice one. Randy Savage versus Virgil. Savage. Savage. So Savage advances all the way to the to the finals. All right. Then we have Marty Jannetty versus the Red Rooster. Jannetty. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, the Red Rooster. Okay. And then we have Iron Mike Sharp versus Boris Zukov. Um, Boris Zukov. And she was Iron Mike Sharp. And Iron Mike Sharp was substituting for the Warlord. So I'm a little confused I, I, in this I thought, he was a, I thought he was a jobber. Why would they have him? Like... I'm confused in this uh, King of the Ring tournament. This is really weird. I'm looking yeah. at this. Okay. Randy Savage was counted out after he was distracted by Virgil on the outside of the ring. Which, okay, wait. Oh, yeah. So Randy Savage and Virgil, he was distracted by Virgil on the outside of the ring. And then, um, and then Hercules interfered and chased DBS and Virgil backstage. Wait, no, this is really weird. The side notes, so, okay. So forget what I said about all that. After everything, after I make sure I forget what I said. Because I'm okay. confused here. So we can go on to the quarterfinals. Ken Patera and Ted DiBiase. Uh, Ted DiBiase. Ted DiBiase. Ron Bass and Shawn Michaels. Uh, Shawn Michaels. Uh, Ron Bass. The fuck? <laughs> <laughs> of course, we have a bias. Randy Savage goes to the semifinals. Now, the Red Rooster and Iron Mike Sharp. Um, shit. Iron Mike Sharp. The Red Rooster. Oh, my God. So your final four. What a terrible gimmick. Your final, your final four. Teddy Yassi versus Ron Bass. Who do you have? Diviasi. Diviasi and Randy Savage versus the Red Rooster. Savage. All right. Now your final is Teddy Biasi versus Randy Savage. Savage. Randy Savage is your king of the ring. Very cool. All right. This was a confusing uh, tournament here. Yes, I, I, was, uh, I was confused. Now, Ben, wow. earlier, earlier this week, I took the DeLorean and I went, uh, I traveled into to November 24th, 88 to see the movie. It's actually one of my favorites <laughs> that we're going to, that we're going to, that I'm going to go see next week when we cover the WWF Survivor Series. Indeed. Um, which one is it? Uh, which, which movie? Oh, I thought I was, I was gonna keep the I was gonna keep it until next week. I can tell you if you want. So, uh, it's Scrooged. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good movie. That is, I love that movie. Every Christmas, I'm more I watch it. One yeah, of my I'm, favorite, I'm, one of my favorite Bill Murray's movies. I'm going to as well. My favorite Bill Murray movie is What About Bob. I love that movie too. I remember in 1991, my brothers and I, my every time my parents used to go out to like a party, my brothers and I would rent a movie each. We rent one night. We rented What About Bob. Yeah. Yeah. That such an awesome movie. So, we're, we'll be back this Saturday with the regular show. And um, Ben, I'm. 
I know we we said oh, why are they having worlds and the day before New Year's, but it's kind of it's kind of cool to like come on here on New Year's Eve and record a, sh- a New Year's Eve show. Uh, yes, it is, and especially uh, it you know it will have to do. I discovered we'll have to do it a little, a little bit later um, oh, because. Yeah. Um, um, just because the Ravens game is on, but I do want to see that. But uh, then after the game, we can uh, record it unless you wanted to do it like really early. So um, how, how how early is early for you? I'm just saying. Well, I mean, well, you know, we used like, to record wrestling POV at 11 a.m. Okay, well we can we can do that. You want to do that? Yeah, um, because I'm just double checking the the time for the um, December thirty first game. Excuse me, folks. I'm a I'm a I'm a basketball nerd. <laughs> football football nerd. nerd. All right, we'll yes. we'll be back shortly. All right, so we're gonna do a special eleven a.m. show on New Year's Eve and. Now, I don't know if you, I have a tournament I put together for you to book. Okay. This is going to be something like the 100 greatest wrestlers of all time. Oh, uh, here we go. This is going to be the 100 worst gimmicks of all time. Uh, I love it. Absolutely love it. So I will tell you the matches, but I... I will tell you the names, then I will tell you the gimmicks. It's like we have, uh, because we have Kane in here. Uh, Kane is determined several times. We have, because we have Isaac Yankum, we have Fake Diesel, we have the Christmas Creature. <laughs> Good Lord, the Christmas Creature. <laughs> so God. I'll, make the, I'll make the matches and then. Um, I was also working on another one earlier today, uh, but that one's gonna be for the first show of the new year. Okay. The fifty greatest matches in WWE. Okay, very good. So that one I can put together now. As for this week, Ben, we say we bring this show to a close. Absolutely, man. I um once again, I really like these shows. I you know because it's 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 kind of exploring new territory for me. So anytime I get to discover something old that's new again, because, you know, I was two, two months old, for fuck's sake. <laughs> um, I doubt I was watching when I was playing at that age. Um, but, yeah, this is, a, this is a really cool history lesson of sorts. Wait till we get into 89 and 90. The 90s are fun. The early 90s, not 93, 93, 94, a little weird. Well, we can cross that bridge when we get yeah. to it and and decide how, yeah. how much of those years that we want to um, cover. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit dubious about that, but I'm open to negotiation. Yeah. I'll still still make the covers just to upload and add them to my collection, but uh, we'll, we'll figure out which ones we want to go over. Okay, very good. So, again, for Tuesday Timeline, I'm Elio. He's Ben. Ben, say goodnight to the fans. Thanks for hanging out with us, and um, hopefully you guys are getting into this new show as much as we are, um, because, like I said, it really is fun to do, 
And until next time, we'll see you on the next Tuesday Timeline.